Blog Talk Radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric Tonoi Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Tim Jensen with Pepperdine Volleyball. The story in real time. I can't argue that we're the best team in the world. I'm not retiring, people. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. I dominated. Peter. We're into that because we're horny for volleyball. Reed. Got a toothbrush? We're going to London. Do you hear that, Doug? I'm coming to London. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. Welcome into the Net Live right now, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you checking in on what is a special episode of the Net Live Thursday. Special. Thursday. We of course want to say thank you to the Spire Institute for their support of this program, their continued support of this program. They are the official sponsor of the Net Live. That was a nice intro. I like that one. You know, I was combing through the old intros here. Dustin Aval, who is uh, the only person sitting in, although you, you might be in the intro soon. You may eclipse Geeter in total shows performed. I mean, between London and your info last week. Let's just dive right in. I mean, it's a two-man it's a two-man show. Obviously, you can tell by the uh, rough intro there. Ruscha isn't here either. No. Uh, he He wanted me to tell you he by no means supports the musical choices made during the following two hours. The, the Ruscha disclaimer. They are, not, they are not supported by DJ Ruscha. You're listening to DJ Ruscha. That's his drop. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit upset for the past couple of years. I haven't really been. I've been considered, but I haven't been a finalist for the Fifth Man Award. Yeah. Uh, You're making a push. It's well, early. I always, I always thought that I was, you know, the guys that win it, they're always going to be a fifth man, Kevin. The They're always going to be the fifth man. I'm I'm trying to be one of the top four. The only thing I would caution you against is that it's January. And much like the Oscars, where most of the films are released in late November, early December, for people to really consider, you might you might want to lay off the gas, unless you're prepared to go further. Wow. Do I have the, yeah. It's I a mean, long, don't walk out marathon. right now. It's a marathon. If I walk out, it's you, and nobody wants that. Let's let you know what's going on on the program this day. Day a Thursday, kind of strange. Start yeah. your weekend early with the Net Live, you know. Exactly, and then you can end your weekend. You can uh, end your weekend Monday morning with yet another Net Live show. We have Dave Niffin of UC Irvine calling in. Tell us about men's volleyball. We'll talk about UC Irvine, currently ranked. UC Irvine dropped down to number three after going winless last week. They uh, they were number one, but they won last night. They won last night. Yeah, good, good update. I'll need that information on Tuesday next week when I do UC Irvine at UCLA. <laughs> I do not need that information yet. That'll be a good one. Yeah. We have Denise Corlett continuing our ABCA Coaches Corner. She will be in to discuss recruiting. That's kind of the, the theme right now of Coaches Corner. We had Shannon Wells last week of Ole Miss, and this week we'll have Denise Corlett. We also have Brian Swinty calling in. He's uh, going to tell us about military volleyball. Many of you probably are not aware that volleyball was invented in the United States, first of all. Probably most of you don't know that. Holyoke, Massachusetts, a contemporary of James Naismith, invented the game. Ripped the bladder out William, of the basketball. William G. Morgan. Yeah, there you go. 
Mintonet. There you go, McDermott. Mintonet. There you go. So it was invented in the United States, but it was spread through the world via the military. Military introduction to the French, to the Italians, who now own the sport, the Italians. It's widely considered uh, an Italian sport. Russians making a pitch for that. But, of course, great history of volleyball all over the world, and it was spread through the military. So we have a couple of guys that are in the military, a couple of uh, gentlemen who have have grown up in the military and teach in the military and are spreading the the word of the game still today. Hang on. Now, I know that you are, are well more versed in the international game than I. And I assume when you say that the Italians own own volleyball right now, it's internationally indoors. Is that fair to say? Or, or where does yeah, that come I mean, from? Not, I own it. I, it's been associated with the Italians for the last 20, 30 years, right? I think you can make a case for the Brazilians in the last 10 Okay. 10 or 15, right? You can make a good case for the Brazilians. Has there but been really, a... if you think of the classic dawn of professional volleyball, yeah. it was Italy. Really? That's where the league... The leagues. The league was Italy. Indoor leagues. Indoor, yeah. This is before Beach even existed, you know, outside of maybe a few guys out here in Southern California. Yeah, which is back to what it is. <laughs> Basically true. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you when you go through that kind of birth of professional volleyball, it really is Italy that is the the centerpiece of that professional uh, birth. Why don't Why don't you think Why don't Italians compete on the beach at the same level that they do indoors? Great question. Don't know. If If anybody from Italy is listening and you want to fly out a couple of uh, knowledgeable volleyball coaches to, to help train your international beach program, I'm available right now. Part of it is economics. If you're a young Italian male and you're pretty good at volleyball, you can make a fantastic living playing professional indoor. So why not? Yeah, and why would you go to the beach with all the unknown? Yeah. Same choice here right now. Do you play in Italy? Yeah, a couple seasons. Wow. Same choice here right now. Why would you play beach? What is the incentive to play beach right now? If you are a new player coming out of college, don't say lifestyle. What What is the incentive to play beach? What is your future if you're going to play beach? Professionally, nothing right now. But if you back it up, Juan, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, the the sand, the women's sand programs in the NCAA seem to be kind of exploding right now. A couple more hirings that we've seen just this last week. Stein Metzger, UCLA. Yeah, so maybe at the NC2A level there's a an advantage. But like we've always said, and like you're saying now, then what? Where do you go? Well, and even the NC2A, they're picking up athletes who are, aren't making it indoor. There aren't a lot of athletes making the choice. And this was big news. Summer Ross decided to go pro. Right, right. This decision to me is very curious. You decide to go pro in what will be the, probably the worst year of professional volleyball on the beach side of the game since... Uh, there was, since everything collapsed in 2010, and before that, probably 1998. Yeah. Right? When the tour went away, and all you were left with were shark watches and beach chairs. <laughs> okay. I mean, a case of beer. I mean, really, that, to me, to forego college, to forego your college education paid for at Pepperdine, you can still compete on the national teams in the summer. You can still train in the summer. You'll be training beach during the winter, going to school. There is no big dollar amount out there. 
Even if you're Summer Ross, it's going to take you a number of years to build anything substantial. And even then, <laughs> she's young, right? It's a complete unknown. She's young. I want to say she's like 19 or 20, maybe 20. Went to Washington first, transferred went to, to Pepperdine. Went to Washington, was All-American there, then transferred to Pep, won the national championship on the beach, both team and... She's done very well internationally. Both both team and pair. She played with Nicole Brannon in one of the FIVB events. So she's, you know, maybe it's it's heaven forbid that it's not about the money. Maybe it's about, you know, Rio or 2020. Uh, okay, make it about Rio. Rio's a long way out. Yeah. You have two years of school left. Rio's two years beyond that. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's a long way to go. That's plenty of time. Chat board. I read yeah. it's about Rio. Well, it's not, it's the wrong choice about Rio. Well, I mean, maybe the experience is worth more at the international level than it is at the collegiate level for now. But you've got other students doing the same thing, other other female athletes that are leaving places like Nebraska, indoor players. To go play indoor. To go play sand, UCLA, and other places. So it's it's happening out there. You've got players transferring the same way that maybe they were in the indoor game when they had another year of eligibility just to go pick up at a sand program somewhere else. So I hope that it steamrolls. I mean, I hope that that's the way to go. If nothing else, it's giving more girls scholarship opportunities. And if you want to, I don't want to start up the Title IX talk, but it it, no, it goes, but it goes there. there, but it goes there, you know, because you're beginning to come up with another sport for girls that give them scholarship opportunities. Hindsight is, or the other side, flip side of the coin, is that it's also giving coaching opportunities and creating jobs in in women's sand collegiate game, I guess. Good point on the chat board about the fact she doesn't have any competition in college. True. Yeah. Yeah. True. But that's what the summers are for. Work on your fitness like a true off-season. Use it like an off-season. You're working on your fitness. You're playing a little bit. No problem. You come into the summer, you're playing Norsecas, you're representing the United States, you're traveling on the FIVB tour, you're doing all those things. Yeah. You can do that stuff, still get your education, and you're not really doing detriment because there is nothing happening in volleyball right now. Yeah, well, There's nothing going on in sand. Right now, if you're in school full-time, you're in school full-time through the spring, really you only miss about a month because Pepperdine's done in April. You really only miss about a month of potential international exposure to – get your education paid for, be training, be healthy. You're not missing anything. Yeah, and the, I think the point that came up on the message board I was going to bring up as well is I think she's an exception to the rule, right? She's not the average player. She's going to have success. Yeah, she's the she's the NBA star that went straight from high school that succeeded, not the one that, you know, the Jonathan Benders. She's the Kevin Garnett, Sean Kev, Kobe. She's a phenom. What else we got going on today? ABCA College Volleyball Weekly. Jay and Mike checking in. We're going to bring up Manti Teo at some point because we have to have a memorial for Lene Kikikua. Yeah. The person who's dead who never existed. How about the Tuiasa Sopo guy that seemed to mastermind the catfish the whole thing? You want the connection to volleyball for that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Are you, six degrees of... Oh, no. It's less? It's a lot closer than six degrees. Wow. So look up your uh, your Washington coaching staff. 
or Tuiasa Sopo. Yep. Is that is that related? Because I know that's a fairly common Samoan name or Pacific Islander uh, name. I believe. I believe that this is a direct relation. Oh. I believe. Somebody can do a little research. Well, the other thing was I, I should have done. I heard. I did also hear that Lene Kakua was uh, was said to. I you know obviously there's conflicting reports, but I. But I I read somewhere that maybe she was involved with the Stanford volleyball team, the women's volleyball team, at some point. That she, you know, obviously it was completely fabricated. But so anything we say is, uh, I could just make it up right now. Nobody, <laughs> nobody would have any information to to challenge. And Marcus Tuiasosopo, I guess too, right? Oh, that's that's Leslie's brother, Leslie Tuiasosopo. Get the name right. Now, Leslie Gabriel at UW, coach who's in her, who was in her 12th season this past year. Yeah, weird week in sports. I mean, we we ended last Monday with the Lance Armstrong discussion, which was a lot of speculation. And then, of course, this week, you got Lance on Oprah, which I could only, I don't know about you guys and the listeners, I could only watch uh, about five or ten minutes of that, and then it seemed to be just the same question and answer that Oprah was posing to. You want to get that, or do you want to turn it on? I might want to get that. I, that could be work. I don't know. <laughs> That's, that could be work right there. There you go. I'll listen to that email during a commercial break. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Lance Armstrong, and we ended on Monday, so it was a weird week in sports, volleyball notwithstanding. Okay, admittedly, I should have done uh, this research earlier, but this is the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. You never know what you're going to get. It's live. Here. It's the Net Live. So, if you remember Marcus Tuiasosopo, that was her brother, the quarterback. Right. Right. Uh, why can't I find? Yeah, I'm not sure if, if there's a direct relation, but definitely the same name. Very famous family. But there's your. Uh, there's your volleyball connection to this whole situation. I, every the whole discussion now centers around what does this do to his draft stock, and I, I don't think it does anything to his draft stock. Everybody keeps bringing up Lawrence Phillips, and rightfully so. Lawrence Phillips, he didn't get fooled by an internet hoax. Catfished. He didn't get catfished. He beat his girlfriend, and they still drafted him in the first round. So, yeah. uh, I think things are going to work out for Manti Teo. I feel bad for the kid because it just seems like a case of a kid who, and these are kids. Let's not forget, yep. these guys look like men. They are kids. This guy's 22 years old. He's a kid. He's from Hawaii, right? He is from Hawaii. He was almost He's a Mormon, right? Yep. He was almost a, a USC uh, recruit, as Gardhoff would back me up on. He was, and then okay. he, he said that God told him that. Notre Dame was the right place to go, even though he is Mormon and they're quite a Catholic institution. This is a pretty sheltered kid. Gets out in the big world, big world of the Internet, even bigger than your normal college world now, and gets fooled immediately. I think it's a, a statement about kids who are just really, really sheltered, not given much experience in life before they are set out on the big stage. And, and a kid like... Mike Manti, with his ability, gets put on a really big stage. Yeah, so then he was interviewed by Jeremy Schapp, I think, for ESPN, but they wouldn't allow 
cameras in there, video cameras. They just want, you know, some some pictures, some photos. And I believe Katie Couric then interviewed him. On camera. On camera because they have the same PR agent or something like that. Well, and he said he lied about it once because he found out in early December, and then he got an interview about it, and he lied. But I don't fault him for that part. I mean, you're so far down the road at that point. Yeah. You're, you cannot, right before the bowl, put that out there. Before the Heisman. And it's, not, and it's not because of you or the Heisman or anything. It's not It's not because of those reasons. What's it going to do to your team? They're going to play in the national championship. What's it going to do to the preparation for that national championship if this blows up before – National championship game. You Pro- can't do that. Probably couldn't have been much worse than it ended up. With, well, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> in hindsight. It wasn't a good game, but it definitely wouldn't have helped. Yeah. Never hear about that in the volleyball game, do you? <laughs> What's the wackiest thing that's happened in volleyball? Somebody, I, there's got to be something that's close. Yeah. Put it to the message board. Yeah, message board. I don't know what. What's closer? Yeah, down the rabbit hole. I like that one. It's almost like Neo taking the blue pill <laughs> and waking up in the spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. I, what in volleyball has ever approached this level of weirdness? Any? I mean, anything. I don't know. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need something that pr- promotes it to the national or international level. Because... You know, besides the Lakers, any sports radio you listen to nationally these days is about Manti Teo. Well, and Lance has uh-huh. quickly faded into the, the nether world. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the reaction uh, to the Lance thing. And we, we talked about it last week on this show. And I remember somebody I worked with, promoter that I worked with, lovely woman. Uh, who I've done some other work for, had worked with Lance. Actually asked me about this. This is uh, four years ago. It asked me, what about the allegations? Do you think he's guilty? And I said, well, it really doesn't matter what I think. This is going to dog him forever. That will forever be the question with him was, did he dope? Mm-hmm. I didn't think we'd ever get an answer. Last week we got an answer. Uh, <coughs> definitively. Yeah. But it was going to dog him no matter what. I don't like his kind of cavalier attitude of, well, I didn't, you know, just even the playing field. Well, it's a nice argument. Everybody wasn't doing it. Everybody, all the good guys, but that's how you were a good guy. That's how you separated yourself as you did that. I guess it is interesting that you never, I never say never, but you don't really come across the allegations or the, or maybe you do. You, you tell me. Uh, uh, unrated question on the chat board. UMBC is that uh, is that the stripper pole thing? Just yes or no. Uh, um, Keep going. You know the allegations or or anything about volleyball players being on performance enhancing drugs. I remember uh, a couple of years ago when when Casey Jennings won the Hermosa with with Pedro who had been oh, banned yeah, from Delgado. the FIVB. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was kind of something. But you never hear. I mean, indoor, international, anytime. Do you I hear about? One. I got one, and it's timely because he just died at 42. Um, let me look it up here. The guy, uh, Greek? Is he Greek? Greek guy, Samras. Yeah. Yeah, Sam See Ras. the things I learned from listening to you, Kevin? Anything about international indoor volleyball that I could probably have cared less about, could not have cared less about previously, now I know. Learn things on the net live. Well, this is, this is we hope, why you listen. 
anybody, not just you, not but just anybody me. out there. Because if you're a beach person and we talk beach, you're probably in on the conversation. Yeah. If you're an indoor person and we talk indoor, you're probably in on the conversation. But if you, you care about some of the other things that we raise here and some of the other issues that we talk about, uh, I'm looking for it here. I, I'll have to find it. But, yeah, Sam Rass was a guy actually right before I joined the national team program in 97. He had been caught using steroids. And he'd gone from a guy, you know, jump mid-30s to and you know, whatever, 200 pounds, typical volleyball player, right? Typical average decent volleyball, international athlete. Yep. Decent at the international scale of things. To... 220, jumping 45, annihilating the ball. And he got caught. He was on, you know, Windstroll or whatever the hell it was. Something something really gnarly back then, not like the clear, you know. This was yeah. an engineer. This was coming out of a horse stable. And uh, and now he dies at 42 years old. That's awfully young. Yeah. Awfully young. Awfully accelerated for that sort of performance as well. Yeah, and I I'm not uh I'm not willing to make that trade. You know, they asked athletes years ago, I remember seeing this, I had asked a bunch of elite athletes, maybe it was just Olympians, but a bunch of elite athletes, if you could take a substance to guarantee you win a gold medal, but it takes ten years off your life, would you do it? What do you think that's a good, the, what do you think the percent positive That's a good question. The percent yes was to that. They asked Olympians or just the general public? No, no, these are elite athletes. The percent that said yes. The percent that said yes to 10 years for a medal or a championship. 75. Close. 85. Yeah. 85% said yes. Absolutely. When you're in it like that and you are so hyper competitive and you've been training for that for however long you have been and somebody tells you, I can give you everything that you have been training for and all you have to do is give up 10 years of your life 50 years from now. The mindset that, that you're in at that point, I'm not surprised. Have you seen Looper? I haven't. You have. You should see Looper. Great movie. Looper has a little bit of that in it, right? Yeah. That trade-off. Right. And one comment is, this profession doesn't seem to attract the most forward-thinking of individuals. There you go. Yeah. So you're exactly right about your critique of a international athlete or an elite athlete of anything, any sport. This is who we are. It is our whole life. There is no perspective. Because basically, if we went to college, we went from college to college with no class. Okay, we were in college. We had class. We had other people. We had to play our sport besides. Then we left college. We left everything behind except the sport. We carried the sport forward. We did not add a workplace and responsibilities. (laughs) Uh, That's it. That is the whole focus of our existence, and that is the only way by which you will be successful in the beginning when you're trying to learn the game. You eventually, so many athletes you see have children, have families, get gain more responsibilities, and if their body is still with them, they actually become better players because they figure out they grow up. But it takes a while. There's a five-year gap in there for most guys, if not more, where it's college, no class. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very potentially bad situation for for learning, for growth. Yeah, well, I think that... Making decisions like 10 years for one championship. Well, I mean, I think that probably if you look at the mental makeup of a lot of those athletes, whatever the sport, at the Olympic level, you're so hyper-competitive and focused that 
that probably helps you to get to that point, to be very present minded. And what do I need to do right now to be better? What do I need to do to achieve my goal? I doubt that it's about, you know, form and functionality in 10, 20, 30 years. That's what makes you an elite Olympic athlete in my in my opinion. At least one of the facets to it. The ability to focus like that and yeah. sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I've said before, people would always tell you, oh, I'd love to have your job. Like, you could not do this job. Yeah. You could not drag your sorry, destroyed, on its way to broken body <laughs> yeah. into another practice. You could not go to the weight room again. You could not do it. Um, and that's the thing. It, it takes a lot of that. Getting some good stuff here for UH and people talking about uh, different stuff. People getting stripped. Yes, Lewis got stripped. Yes, Dustin Ringo. Yeah, they did, didn't they? UMBC. And what is that? What I looked it up, but there's some UMBC thing going on right now where uh, the coach apparently has a pole in the living room and has a family. And his Christmas card made an ABC most awkward family cards collage. And I saw it on there, the ABC link, where he has, like, the daughter is upside down on the pole. ABC. And the kid is hanging on the pole. American Broadcast Network. Like, exactly, like ABC. Like the big ABC, Disney ABC. Absolutely. Absolutely. And someone on Volley Talk has said they have pictures of the wife dancing on the pole in front of the team. Wow. And I, I saw a thing that it was reviewed by the administrator there at Volley Talk and was not posted, but he had seen it. So that's a little scandalous. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, I I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of moral objections. <laughs> let's say. Yeah. I have basically none. Morally casual. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty liberal in that respect. I would definitely not consider that ever happening. Yeah. If I were a volleyball coach, that would not happen. So and I don't know all the specifics. Look them up for yourselves, but. It's a little sketchy stuff right there. Well, and I'd be I'd be remiss to if I didn't bring this up, but I feel like I have to. And, um, the John Stevenson allegations as yeah. well. I mean, just in I, I I don't know a whole lot about it, but in the in the subtext of this conversation, that's another thing that made some some news. It was out there, right? Stuff that was said, the quotes that were out there were way off the offline. Yeah, yeah, that was that was off the reservation for sure. You might hear it in my voice. I've been sick since last uh, Friday. Struggled through a couple of matches on TV, including a three-hour day at Supercross on last Saturday. That's uh, 28 minutes for those of you playing the game. Yeah, and drinking. Yeah, also. <laughs> so that might help. I could go for a little whiskey right now. Keep I'm in. I mean, it'll help your your voice. As I was uh, sort of, you know, alluding to earlier, I'm I was making a reach out to the Italian national governing body i'm uh i'm looking i'm looking for a full-time gig if anybody wants to get after it um today i mean let's fire up the irish coffee why not dusty gringo available yeah but here today on the net live we're gonna take a short break on the other side we'll have dave niffin of uc irvine and we'll take a little listen back here during this commercial break here's one of our original intros if not the original intro as we take a look back at five years of the Net Live, still searching for episode one, can't find it. It's Dusty and Kevin on a Thursday. Uh-huh. 
You're listening to The Net Live on the VolleyballNetwork.com. Riley Salmon has got it off the left side. What a spectacular match. The world's best volleyball podcast. But don't worry about it. Now's the time. One side out. Shut the door. Well, it's the only one. Streaming live from SoCal to Siberia, this is the Net Live happening now. Hey, this is Jake Gibb. You're in the Net Live. This is Taiba Hanif Park, and you are in the Net Live. Aloha, this is Mike Lambert. And you are in the net live. Lloyd Ball, and you're on the net live. Ryan Malarm, and you're in the net live. Hey, this is Heather Ballin, and you're live in the net. Nope, that was totally wrong. <laughs> hey, this is Karch Kira, and you're in the net live with Willie and Barney. You know this song, Dusty? No. It's Chipmunk, baby. Sorry, I'm sorry, Rusha. I'm Mad- sorry. Madden 2012. 2012. Champion, buddy. Yeah. Come on. Wow. This is not a bad song for the guy we have coming up next. Maybe. They're the defending champions. They are defending. In the queue here, let me introduce this young man was a fighting panther at Chico High School where he starred on the volleyball team. Taking it way back. Matriculated to LMU where he flowed a little bit of butter backside to a certain Reed Pretty who would have been nothing without this man. After LMU stopped their program, he went on to UC Irvine and found a little niche. Helped to lead the team to their first MPSF postseason victory, number one nationally. Went back and started as an assistant coach where he was the 2010 National Assistant Coach of the Year and helped Illinois on the women's side advance to a championship match. Now he's back at UC Irvine. He is the head men's volleyball coach at UC Irvine. Say hello to Dave Niffin. You're in the net live. Dave. You are in the net live. He is. He's supposed to be. Hang on. I punched it. It didn't work. There it is. Now he's in. Uh, hello. Good morning, guys. How's it going? What's happening? You're in. Did you hear that intro, Dave? Or were you? Yeah, on that it? was unbelievable. We do need a point of clarification. When I was at LMU, I never actually flowed to read pretty. I got into a match one time, which was enough to blow my redshirt year, and <laughs> I was so scared. I think the first one didn't even make it out more than three or four feet behind me. And the next one, he said, just chuck it up there. I'll take care of it. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's the extent of my flow to read pretty. Well, hey, I was trying to give you a little bit extra. I wouldn't have corrected me if I were you, but hey, that's fine. You're an old guy. Television said you need to learn. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> Welcome. So, thank you. First time on. How's it going? How's the season so far? Good win last night. Was it last night over Northridge and Ford? You guys have had a little bit of uh, struggle, I would say. Bumpy road to begin the season. But you got a good win on the on the boards. How are things going now that you're back as the head coach at UCI? Uh, going well. You know, I think I'm finding my rhythm. I think the guys are finding their rhythm. You know, anytime you come back with a new team and this much turnover, both in in staff and players, 
it's uh it's a little mini identity crisis for everybody to just try to figure out who they are and what they're about and you know we have a lot of guys that are still trying to figure out that they don't need to fulfill the shoes of a guy like Carson Clark or Dan McDonald or Will Montgomery they just need to be them and uh I think we're on that path so yeah a couple bumps but but we're moving towards that end. Dave, I've talked to John about affecting culture change where he's at now. What about you having to affect culture change there at UCI? You spent a long time under John, working for John just a short time away, but you're a different coach than he is, and you certainly have to have different expectations and wants from this program. How are your players coping with that adjustment? Well, I would say there's actually probably more change trying to occur at UCLA right now because the base of any culture is going to be the guys in the gym. And when you look at the turnover here, we've turned over, you know, one or two spots within a coaching staff. But the the essence and the core of our culture has always been the blue-collar mentality of, of the boys that take the court. And that's the kind of athlete we get here. So, you know, what John's doing at UCLA is a little bit different because I think he's trying to take what he's got and what he'd like to see happen to a completely different foundation. And, and changing the foundation, I think, is a a lot more of a task than what we're trying to do here. Dave, you've been at UCI, or you were at, at UCI, I should say, for four or five years under under John Spira. You guys kind of, I mean, you you became a, a victim of your own success. You brought a, an expectation to UCI that maybe wasn't there before you arrived, and now you come in after a national championship. Are the expectations pretty high down there? Is that is that something that you have to worry about, or how do you deal with that on a daily basis? The expectation for me, I, the hardest thing for me is uh, – trying to stay within my own expectations of how I want to do the job. And I think the most challenging component of coaching, uh, or at least that I'm finding, you know, in in my all of six-month tenure at this, is just remembering to be true to myself as I'm going through and, and coaching the style that I want to coach. Because to your point, I am a different coach than John. And just like Russ Rose is a different coach than Kevin Hambly. And, you know, there's, there's going to be coaches that go out there and, and they figure out ways to win, but they do it their way. And so that's that's what I'm working towards right now. So the expectations and the pressures are, are mostly coming from that, not from having a national title or, or having talent on the court or, you know, beating the other teams that are out there. It's it's a lot more internal for me. What did you take from your time with Kevin Hambly and back in Illinois in the women's game? I think perspective was a big part of it. You know, I mean, I I saw a whole different world when I got out there, both, you know, culturally, uh, socially, you know, and then, in, in the Midwest, life moved at a little different pace. The workload moved at a different pace. You know, outside of the gym, life moved a little slower than it does here in Orange County. And then inside the work environment, it was it was light speed. And you know, we watched everything. And it was a whole different level of grinding that I just wasn't I wasn't aware that even really existed. Uh, and then the professionalism around the job, being in the Big Ten Conference, and what that's like. So there were so many things I, I wouldn't know how to really distill down to, to one or two, but. Maybe just perspective is the best word I could give it. Yeah, you bring up a good point. People have to remember that the women's game, I don't even know how many different teams there are. I mean, you've got a full-blown... 300 division one. Yeah, you've got a full-blown NC2A tournament, and then you come back to the men's side, which is one that you're obviously well more familiar with, and you and you got your 21, 22 teams, whatever that number is these days, really based in the in the SF. So uh, what, did you, what did you take from the difference in coaching women and, and men or... or you know, at the collegiate level, just period. And I don't, I don't mean in, in terms of Kevin Hambly and, and Illinois, but just the differences in coaching men and women. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that I could speak a little bit more intelligently about that, but I was only there for about 16 months. And the, uh, 
the thing that I found the most fascinating was that when you get to that level of athlete, when you're talking about your Illinois, uh, your Texas's, you know, your Penn State's, your, your teams that are in it at the end, like kind of those top 25, as I'm looking at it, you're dealing with athletes. And the ball does move a little slower because they're not hitting it as hard. Um, so there's some, some shifts in the game. But from a cultural, social standpoint, I, I would say it actually wasn't that different. I mean, we talked to them like they were athletes and, and not a group of girls, you know, which I think is a trap that, that can we can all fall into at times. Um, but, no, they were athletes. You know, they were there to win. They chose a place like Illinois because they wanted to be the best. And I think they knew what that entailed. So I, I didn't see as much difference as I probably would have had I gone to a school that was more between, you know, the 50 to 150 ranking uh, overall, if that makes sense. I'm not sure I'm explain that very well. How about the process of the opportunity? What was what was your path before the opportunity at Irvine arrived, and then how did you go through and make the decision to, yes, I'm going to return to the men's game, I'm going to return to UC Irvine? You know, I when I started coaching, uh, I started coaching club just to, to help pay for school when I was at Pierce Junior College for a year, and uh, it just kind of stuck with it. It was just always a nice side job, and you know, with transferable skill sets between the two, both playing and, and coaching. And so as I was kind of going down that path, I went over to play in Spain for a couple of years. John called me when the full-time job popped up at Irvine and asked if I'd be interested. And I, I just kind of stayed with it. So I was more caught up in the flow of coaching anything else. I didn't have any real direction with it. And I think once I got out to Illinois, that's when I realized this isn't just a lifestyle. This is a career and a profession. And, and that was the, the shift for me. How about the the opportunity to return with John moving over, and when did you first uh, consider applying, or were you contacted by the athletic director? How did the whole situation play out that you ended up being the head coach at Irvine? Yeah, well, that's that's I guess where it became what's the best career move, um, and I, I just you know I spent some time talking to to Kevin about it quite a bit at Illinois because that's a that's a position where. You know, if I'm there for a few years and we have relative success, you know, I'm probably moving on. I'm becoming a head coach or at a mid-major and, uh, you know, kind of moving through that process. Um, but, no, you know, I was I was encouraged to apply by various people, and that's, uh, that's just kind of where it went. You know, once I interviewed and, and jumped in with both feet, I realized there's, there's no way I'm passing up on this opportunity. How did you beat Karch? I mean, you just slaughtered him. <laughs> they didn't even offer him the chance. You were better than Karch. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know that it really went down like that. You know, I, I think, Karch had an idea what he wanted to do, and uh, you know, I do feel like I was the right fit for this job. You know, there's there's no question in my mind. Um, but I think it just had more to do with you know what direction Karch wanted to go, what direction the administration wanted to go, and I, I think he's in a great spot, and I think I'm in a great spot. So whatever happened behind the scenes, I don't know that we'll ever know. But uh, yeah, Karch is not a guy I'd want to go head to head with. You're listening in that live. Here on Volleyball Magazine, we're talking to head coach Dave Niffen of UC Irvine. I didn't realize we were Paisanos. Did we have this discussion the one time we met outside of a club practice there in South Bay? You were a Pierce alum? I am a Pierce alum. Yeah, I was only there for one season. LME dropped their program, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough. I actually walked into Marv Dumphy's office, uh, and, and I was at, I had frequented his summer camps. And so he was one of the guys I felt comfortable going to. And I said, hey, what do you think I should do? And Greg Vernovich was there at the time. And Burn. Greg stepped out of the room. And, and Marv said, I think you should go to Pierce where Ken Stanley is. And Greg Vernovich just took over the program. And so, yeah, we had we had one good run there. It was a solid year. Dave, 
Tell me a little bit more about, I mean, Kevin asked you about coming back to UC Irvine, but what about the decision and the process to go from, you know, the men's game to a big-time assistant coaching job at a big-time program on the women's side like Illinois? How did that come about? You know, it was just, uh, I had done five years here as an assistant, and I think assistant coaching is by nature a transient position. And it, it was not a position where I could I could sustain for a long period of time. You know, I was at the time I was married and, and we had just had a, a little girl and you know, starting to look down that path a little bit and saying, you know, volleyball is great. Um, is this gonna do it? Can we live in Orange County with, you know, a teacher's salary and an assistant coach's salary and at the time Nicaragua to look a lot better, huh? Yeah, Nicaragua did look pretty good. Yeah, just moved down there with Tim Kelly and, and his family and his commune down there. But, uh, no, it was, you know, so we were bouncing around a little bit and playing with different ideas. And the opportunity at University of Kentucky came up with Craig Skinner, and I think it really opened my eyes to, you know, what that was about. And I went out there and, and loved Craig and his staff and the program they have out there. I just I think, you know, that would be a phenomenal place. Um, I don't know that I was really ready to make that jump. And, you know, not a week or two later, Kevin Hambly called and asked if I'd be interested. So, you know, kind of my radar was on, and I went out there and checked it out and just fell in love with the culture and the opportunity. How about having to leave your, your young daughter behind? That can't have been an easy decision. Well, it wasn't really the, in the plans. Uh, you know, I think in my mind, whether it was naivety or, or whatever it was, I just wasn't seeing things clearly. My intention with all that was always to eventually have them out there. But, uh, you know, obviously when the opportunity comes up to come back, that that certainly played into the decision of coming back to Irvine. And, you know, now she's 45 minutes away and we're, we're splitting time pretty evenly. And it's, it's been really neat to have her in this environment in the Irvine area and, uh, and be close again. There's no question. That's, it's the best. Yeah. Actually, Lydia, a teacher up here at a school works with a good friend of mine up here in the thirties. Nice. Um, Dave on, on your current team right now, you know, I, I, I got to mention, you've got one of the most, dynamic players in the men's game nationally, internationally, based on his experience. Talk a little bit, if you could, share with the world that doesn't know Kevin Tilly. Sure. Yeah, Kevin Tilly transferred in from from a school in Canada, actually. You know, his dad, one of the all-time greats. Um, you know, every time people start talking about the great volleyball players in France, they, they talk about his dad, Laurent. And uh, Kevin is incredibly dynamic. He came in here with two years. To play, I think there was some question circulating in the volleyball community as to whether he'd return this last year uh, because he did have a great summer playing World League. And but he is back. You know, the degree is important to him. He's going to finish out this year, and he's just he's an outstanding person. It really fits our culture, but also you know, obviously an outstanding volleyball player. Very dynamic um, player of the year last year. He'll be a candidate this year for player of the year again. I would imagine if he stays healthy. Uh, but yeah, just solid kid to have on the team. What about this season? It seems like it's wide open. We've watched teams go up and down, yours included, and most recently Stanford taking out UCLA. It really seems to be an unpredictable year. And Kevin Wong on our broadcast this past week had a great stat. He said eight of the ten All-Americans, first-team All-Americans, graduated. So it seems like anything can happen. Do you feel like you're in the national championship conversation, and who's there with you? I I think we're in it. Um, You know, I I think we're, we're definitely in that mix. Uh, we've, like I said, we've got some discovering to do from a, a talent standpoint, from a cultural and desire standpoint. I think we're, we're in the mix. Um, I would say Pepperdine is in the mix as well. You know, we played them early. We were 
they were our first home match, and, and we did beat them in three, but you could tell there's a lot of promise there. You know, they've got a good young setter with Matt West, and, uh, you know, they've got a nice senior opposite and, and some big kids on the left. You know, they got a real good ball control guy, and then Josh is doing a nice job. He's kind of their bigger stick. So they'll be in the mix. Uh, Stanford, I think, is just always in the mix. I think Stanford probably plays the most intelligent and precise team volleyball of anyone in our conference, and I've just kind of seen that year in and year out. They they just out ball control you and, and probably out thank you to some extent. Um, and then you know you go down the list, and I, I think BYU has to be in the in the mix based on physicality and and uh, how hard it is to play there. We just went up there and went four with them, but there's there's no question that Taylor is head and shoulders above just about everybody out there in the conference. And their their opposite once he gets going, Ben Patch is is going to be. Uh, a big headache for most of us. Uh, and then after that, I think it gets a little bit more muddled, you know, um, just from a, a physicality standpoint. There's some teams that will make runs, and certainly we've seen in the MPSF where, you know, you get hot at the end and you, anything can happen. So I think now you're looking at your USC's and UCLA's. And, you know, I'm saying all this with us obviously being probably 10th in conference right now with our ranking. But uh, if you wanted my honest feedback, that's that's where I'd say we're at. You know, Long Beach would be in that mix of the top eight as well. San Diego's had some big wins. Cal Baptist took us out in five at their place. Yeah, it's, it's a mess this year. What is it you think has to happen if if a team is going to win the national championship this year? What are they going to have to do well inside of the game? What can you not get away with uh, leaving behind skill wise as a team? Oh, are you really going to make me give you the you got to serve and pass answer? Because I <laughs> I think that's probably what it comes down to. Uh, I, I wish I had something more creative for you, but as I as I'm watching. I think we probably got to, you know, the team that's going to win, it probably has to out-hit their opponents by about 100 points, and you got to serve and pass the ball. There you go. Spoken like a true coach. I, that was such a boring answer. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, some, somebody's got to go off and six-pack somebody going on a four-to-four shot to just take them mentally out of the game. I think that would do it. How's that? Yeah. Massive intimidation. That's what we need. That's right. That's right. Last, last thing I have for you, Dave, we talk a lot about the sand game. You guys – uh, you know, being in Orange County and, and having Newport and the sand so close there, what do you see? Do you have any either inside knowledge or something you can share about UC Irvine and either the women's side having a sand uh, opportunity? And do you see the beach game coming to the NC2A and, and men? You know, I, I'm not a great person to ask on that. I, I'm not really involved in those conversations. What I would say for us is that just specifically for me as a head coach at UC Irvine, I I don't see the value in it only because, you know, we've got the beach right there. From a recruiting standpoint, you know, our guys live on the sand anyway. They're down on the Newport Peninsula commuting 10 minutes to school, so if they want to play beach, they just go out and play. And there's there's so few guys um, that we would recruit to the sand game that we wouldn't recruit to the indoor game. You know, if we had sand, we might lose a guy like Connor Hughes because he might go play beach. And Connor Hughes, obviously, an outside hitter, started for the national championship team last year at UC Irvine. You know, we want all the talent and physicality we can in the men's gym. We're not in a position where we have mass numbers of boys that are playing uh, at a high enough level where I feel like we could dilute that pool right now. Yeah, I'd add uh, Will Montgomery into that as well, probably. Will Montgomery, yeah, absolutely. That's right. Will graduated this last year, but you're absolutely right. He's a guy that's in the mix. For, for stuff like that. And we absolutely benefited from having him in our environment, not just on the court because he actually his playing time was limited, but having a guy like that with that attitude and that work ethic behind the scenes and in the weight room is just, you know, unquantifiable for us. So, 
Dave Niffin is the head coach at UC Irvine. His first season as head coach, they are the defending national champions and expected to be in the conversation this entire season. You can catch him and his team taking on UCLA Tuesday night at Pauley Pavilion. That will be on the Pac-12 network. And uh, Dave, you and I will have to chat before that one because I'll be doing that one with Al Skates. Should be a lot oh, of fun. Outstanding. Awesome. Yeah, all kinds of storylines. We have you replacing Spraw, Spraw replacing Skates, and Skates replacing, well, nobody. He's just coming to sit next <laughs> Thanks for all right. Thanks, Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for everything you do for the sport. I appreciate it. Thanks, cool. Neff. Thanks, Dave Niffin. All right, bye. You see Irvine checking in this morning here on the Net Live. I, I picked out my favorite quote there: "Assistant coaching is by nature a transient position." Yeah, very true. Very. I mean, he's I, one I, of the guys that is an up and coming coach. I mean, there's there's a few of them out there that are younger. I'll say younger, around my age. But you get to the point, and I'm going to tie kind of a correlation to the NFL game right now with the coaching searches that you get to a point where for a while things just sort of recycle themselves. There's just some churning. Oh, the NFL is killing me. Yeah. I, I think I wrote if, uh, if uh, what's his name from San Diego, North Turner got hired, yeah. then the Mayans should have been correct. <laughs> well, it, it's just for a while you get the same coaches just changing logos. And right now we're kind of at a point, at least in the NC2A men's side where you've got some new faces. I mean, even the the more tenured coaches uh, like Bill Ferguson at USC has been there for seven years. That's that's still a newer spot. I mean, of course you have Joe Wortman and you've got you Dovey. know yeah Dovey and Costi and and guys like that Campbell. But you're also starting to see some of the the newer coaches, and I like that. I mean, it's exciting for the game. There, uh, you know, Brad Keller, another name that's out there working with Spira, so. I'm glad that, that Dave's joining us. I'm glad that he got the job. I, I wish him the best, and um, yeah, it's good to have him on. All right, we have our next guest in the queue. I would queue music, but I'm not DJ Roche. No. You know, I'm just I'm just not that talented, and I, my computer's freaking out because of it. But this is a, this is a great opportunity, and, and when this gentleman brought it to me, I thought this is a, a really uh, nice example of a fan of the show bringing value to the show and saying, hey, why don't why don't we get on and talk about an aspect of this game that doesn't get much attention, but really ought to. Everyone else hear that? Bring some value to the show as a listener. <laughs> you may not be fifth man of the year. You might be listener of the year. We have a listener <laughs> oh, of the year award. I like that. Someone who's not on the mic, but listener of the year. Yeah. But we want to welcome in uh, Brian Swinty, who is the Vilsec High School head coach. And if you don't know where Vilsec High School is, well, it's probably because you don't have a map of Germany. He's in Bavaria, Germany, for the Department of Defense. He's actually home to the 2nd Cavalry Regiment and 172nd Infantry Brigade. And he also has with him Chris Hux, cyber transport technician assigned to the 1st Combat Communications Squadron at Ramstein Air Base in Germany. These guys are continuing the outreach of volleyball through the military, and I'm hoping this is both of them, uh, Chris and Brian. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Guys, thanks for calling in, and, and sure appreciate all the information uh, that you guys sent us early on. i start with you, bro. Give us uh, just a, an overview. I mean, you grew up in Panama. You played high school right. ball. You love the sport, but you've been coaching and teaching all over the world for many years. Right. I started off actually uh, teaching and coaching in Korea. That was my first assignment at an Air Force base there. was there for five years. We built a nice little program. Won a championship there, and then I transferred to Vilsack High School in Germany, and I've just spent the last five years here. 
build another program, won another championship, which is pretty cool, and then uh, just growing the game every day. It's awesome. Okay, you so say you win a championship. What championship are you competing in? Well, it's kind of like a state high school championship. We're a lot smaller, so we only compete against you know schools around the, the Pacific, around our area. But in, in the Pacific, we competed against schools from Japan, from other places in Korea, from Okinawa, Japan, from the Philippines, from China. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. How how are the all these schools getting players? These are American schools. Yeah, well, it depends on where we are. In Korea, it was a lot of international schools. Um, in Germany, most of the schools are like U.S. military schools. So we try to recreate the exact you know American high school experience over here for for all these kids. Now, Chris, you have had the experience playing in a lot of this stuff. You started playing in Japan, but you've been on a variety of different teams. Give us a little bit of history of, of your introduction to the sport and where you've taken it yeah um as for myself uh i actually started playing um growing up in the dodd system and started playing in japan uh, my dad was assigned to a, a military base in japan northern japan actually Misawa, and uh my brother actually got me introduced to the game uh pretty much he uh he just told me to come out one day and uh just play the sport try it out see what i can do at first i was a little hesitant but uh as soon as i stepped on the court i loved it and uh from there i just Spent a couple years in Japan, learning the game, playing the sport. Uh, came back to the States, uh, played a little bit while I was in the States, but uh, decided, you know, civilian life wasn't really for me. I enjoyed the military experience and being overseas. So uh, shortly after, in 2000, I joined the military, and um, in Italy was my first assignment, and I've been playing ever since. And uh, playing in the military, I mean, it's been a great opportunity for me. Um, I've been able to play internationally and, and represent my service um, in numerous military competitions um, all over Europe and just basically all over the world. So it's been a great opportunity for me. And this is something I've been doing for about 12 years now. Very experiencing. Chris, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it, it always seems that uh, the military experience is very similar to of a professional athlete. It's massive work by massive boredom sometimes. And is this accurate? And is volleyball and, and lots of sports that go on at one ways that, that guys spend their free time? Um, you know, it, it is pretty accurate. I mean, it's it's in, in terms of it being a lot of work and, and just a lot of dedication. Um, you know, when we try out for our, our respective teams and our services, um, you know, we go to these camps where we spend numerous hours daily um, training and, and spending a lot of court time and taking a lot of repetition. So, yeah, at times it can be boring, but it's very rewarding, too, because the fact that you're just out there playing a sport you love, you're you're considered one of the best in your service, and, and you're you're out there doing something you love, basically. I mean, it's it's a great experience. It's, it's an awesome high. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a game that I didn't know existed, and I, for one, think that I'm pretty involved in the volleyball culture, so it's, I appreciate you guys being on. Um, it seems like as you started as players, uh, you were, for lack of a better term, you know, military brats. Uh, have you since, since you're coaching, you become kind of a part of the military organization, or are you still just providing, uh, you know, a coaching service through the schools there? Yeah, well, I def I'm I'm a teacher and a, and a, and a first in the in the classroom. I teach history, uh, but I'm also a coach. But uh, being born and raised overseas, kind of in the same environment that these kids grew up in, I mean, I'm literally a part of the fabric of these military environments. I mean, it's it's everything for for me. It's, and these kids really don't have 
as many opportunities as, as some other kids, although they do have some cool opportunities that other kids don't. They get to live in a foreign environment. They get to see the Louvre in person or, you know, they get to see what, it, what it's like to be in the Coliseum, things like that. But they just don't get to live the everyday American experience, but they are Americans. So it's a little, it's a little different. Yeah, Brian, how about the challenge those kids face if you have talent for another level of volleyball, be yeah. in college or beyond? Uh, how how difficult is it for them to get any kind of recruiting attention? Right, and that's the biggest thing they face, just exposure to coaches. I mean, they're in a unique environment as Americans living overseas. Again, they get great advantages, but they want to go to school and university in the States. So we spend a lot of time, you know, sending YouTube videos and, and you know, they they get some of these uh, the recruiting services to to kind of help them out with video, but most coaches aren't just you know aren't, aren't going to commit based on the video. So we actually flew there to the ABCA convention and had a bunch of kids like compete in the the little tournament last year, and some of them got looks from that. We're just any way we can send them to camps and you know, connect with different coaches at, at multiple divisions. I mean, John Kessel came over and ran a camp, which we'll talk about. Just any way we can find to to connect these kids with with opportunities. Hey, uh, Chris, I want to ask you, a cyber transport technician, I mean, it sounds like you're putting Terminators on planes. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not actually. Um, basically what I do is um, um, anything communications related uh, in terms of uh, providing infrastructure. So when I talk about infrastructure, I'm talking about routers, switches, um, telephone systems, video teleconferencing units, anything that uh, – any military member needs to to be able to communicate uh, without with the outside world or basically communicate beyond their base. Um, that is what I do. And being assigned to the combat comm squadron, uh, we're an expeditionary unit, so we can deploy at a minute's notice, and we go to all different all different type of environments, everywhere from Europe, Africa, and the Middle East, and we set up comms basically with nothing. So. Yes, totally talking my language. This is Dustin. Is that usually Cisco gear or something like that? Yeah, you're looking at some Cisco stuff. Um, you know, Cisco is one of the, um, I guess you say, number one systems that we use out there. Um, we actually use a lot of Cisco products. Yeah. I think you just had a nerdgasm over here. A little bit. Hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could tell you more, but then he'd have to kill you, you know. So. Pretty much. Maybe, uh, Brian, you first. What's the level of play? What's the, what's the competition like over there? I mean, you guys have seen, uh, I'm sure – through the AVCA convention, or through the tournaments or whatever, what it's like stateside. How do you compare with the competition that you're seeing overseas? I mean, these kids are, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird, because our, our biggest high school here is Ramstein High School. You've probably heard of Ramstein Air Base. They have 1,100 kids, 1,000 kids, something like that, 9 through 12, so you get an idea about how big our schools are. Our school here is about 540, something like that, so you kind of get... In the kind of the lower 2A, I guess, maybe level. But in those diamonds in the rough, you get some very, you know, athletic kids. I mean, you're talking about, you know, either infantry kids or their dads are very physical, special forces type type guys in the first place. So sometimes we get those kids that, you know, can't play D1 or, you know, even higher. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Those that don't know, they don't know. You ought to look up it. I'm glad these guys sent us the link that I, I haven't surfed in a very long time. It's just a timeline on the FIVB for the history of volleyball. There's lots of fantastic moments in there. Uh, 1915, the French get introduced to volleyball through the Americans after the invasion of Normandy. 1970, uh, Italy learns of volleyball from the American servicemen. This is, again, World War One kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, that's going on. There, there's some funny stuff in there where the scoring changes from yeah, 15 that's, to 21 or 21 to 15. That's my favorite one. I think in 1916, the score for a game drops. A game, by the way, not a set. 
drops from 21 to 15. <laughs> but years ago to flop it again, go back the other way. So we're, we're, we're going in reverse here in our evolution. Yeah, and you guys have had a lot of contact with USAV and, and John Kessel, the director of Grassroots over there at USAV, and I see some great pictures here on his blog of, of your kids, and, and he's writing about his experience. How did you come together, and what are you guys uh, doing otherwise to reach out and give some of your kids other experience? I, I heard you talk about coming to convention. That's great, having USAV. What other things, uh, thinking, are you guys working on? I'll just camps in general. Again, trying to get these kids looks. I mean, it's they, one of the cool things is they do get to play in some of the local Italian or German or some of these clubs. So we try to just kind of market them as, as kids that have something special. You know, like John, as we all know, is probably one of the most accessible people in our sport. You know, you go up and chat him up and talk to him, and I'll pretty much talk to anybody. But the uh, you know, he just said, "Hey, we'd be willing to do that." So he actually brought Cody, his kids, and, and Mackenzie, and. And they came over, and we're just, I don't know, constantly trying to connect them with, with different folks. I'm working on bringing some other folks over uh, to try to get it. I realize that's kind of the name of the game is, is exposure, and these kids are are unique. And so they can kind of bring something to the table that maybe a lot of other kids can't. Well, we're going to have Corlette on here in a second to talk about recruiting, and uh, and maybe you need to just kind of get in her ear that you have some players over there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's <clears throat> like I said. I mean, we're they're, they're, we're lower to actually our player, one of our best players right now. We probably have two or three. She's being recruited by Gonzaga and some others. There's another one that's, you know, first time she ever played beach volleyball was was at my camp two years ago. We kind of added a beach component, and uh, now she's playing on the regional team in Spain. So I mean, there's there's all kinds of cool opportunities for these kids, and there are some diamonds in the rough here that, that just people don't, don't hear about. Hey, we could spend a lot of time talking to you guys. I wish we had more time on today's show. We definitely have to have you back again. Absolutely. Chris, you have had an opportunity to play on a lot of different teams and represent the sport of volleyball and learn from a lot of different places, uh, given your background, the way you've grown up. What's the coolest moment that sticks out as part of your volleyball international experience? I'm sorry, I, I can barely hear your question. Could you repeat that one more time? Sorry about that. What? What? experience stands out in your mind that was part of your volleyball international experience? Um, I would have to say the the one moment that really does stick out in my mind is uh, there was an international competition uh, in which the U.S. Air Force Europe team was playing in uh, Poland, and I had a, a local national, a local Polish kid come up to me after a match, and, uh, you know, he, he was talking to me in English and, and Telling me that he never really gets the chance to, to to practice his English because there's no Americans that live around the area. So as I'm talking to this kid and they're talking to his classmates and they're telling me about their experience and, and them learning about English and, and American culture and also how much they love the sport of volleyball. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a a practice jersey and he tells me he likes it and uh, he thought it was pretty cool. So what I end up do is, doing is I give the kid my jersey. And uh, I take a picture with him and his classmates, and instantaneously, um, you know, we went from just being military folks that are representing the U.S. in Poland to um, fans of these guys. I mean, they, they loved us. They loved every aspect of us. They loved interacting with us. They thought we were great ambassadors. Um, that's what the experience was for me, um, just being um, an ambassador of my country, representing my sport, representing the military. So overall, I mean, it was an awesome experience. 
um, to be able to do something like that and to do it repetitively um, numerous times throughout the years. So that is definitely the one moment in my mind that sticks out. And I think about and I tell folks stories all the time about that. need to be on the forefront of growing volleyball the way it was passed throughout the world through the military. Appreciate them calling that live. And guys, we'll have to have you back and just talk more about the national experience that you guys have. so much for being a part of the show and, and being fans of the show. Absolutely. I'm wearing my T-shirt right now, actually, man. It's huge. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. All right, Brian and Chris. That's, uh, that definitely is something we don't get enough touch with. Is uh, is the little niches of volleyball, and and this, I mean, you say it's a little niche, but it's an important one of how the game grew. Yeah, the game wouldn't be what it was, to, what it is today, were it not for guys like Brian and Chris years ago who were taking the sport to new places. And that FIVB list is a lot of fun because you you really get a fuller picture of how the game grew. Yeah, it's amazing, and from what I gather, the the thing that those guys, Brian and Chris, are really trying to do, and the others involved, I'm sure, or give the kids as close to a an experience that they could have here, wherever they are. And that's you know that's something no matter what the sport or game or you know the experience. It's that's something that obviously is largely unnoticed. So I'm glad that we could give them the platform by which to share. All right, so give it a, a listen to that and uh, learn a little bit more. We're going to continue to learn here on the Net Live. There's no breaks in this Thursday show, as sometimes happens with these off-day programs. A lot has happened, and we have a lot of guests to get in. Yeah, that's how we do it on Dusty Gringo's The Net Live. <laughs> there's, there's no sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Just straight talk and knowledge. Yeah. Well, we do have a new segment. We started in full force last week. It is the AVCA Coaches Corner, and this is designed for a lot of coaches, a lot of people out there in the coaching realm to learn more about what is going on in their own profession and how coaches throughout the United States and perhaps the world are dealing with different issues. We talked recruiting last week with Shannon Wells of Old Miss, and this week we are pleased to be joined by a veteran of the recruiting game. She's been at Stanford, I think, I think forever. She's a stalwart at Stanford. Uh, Denise Corlett is widely regarded for her recruitment and her Stanford Cardinal brought in was the best freshman class seen in a very long time leading into this past season. They were number one ranked for much of the season, and we are pleased to be joined by Denise. Denise, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, thank you very much for uh, taking time to get on the phone and chat with us. Uh, first of all, you've been at Stanford a long time as associate head coach. Correct for uh, for John Dunning. Why? Yeah, this is my twenty twenty fourth year. Why make the choice uh, to stay so long in one place? Yeah, well, one, it's it's a it's a great school, it's a great place to work. Um, we have a chance to recruit some really good players and um, always hopefully contend for a title. And you know, I'm California and been in California, never wanted to leave California. Uh, it was a place that was close enough to home to be able to watch uh, my nieces play when they were playing, and um, but be in a place I love. Home being California, as a matter of fact, South Bay. Yes. Right? Uh, Manhattan Beach, where I grew up. Now, okay, four seasons for you, 23 for John Costi, who was an assistant for many years. Now is yes. Men's program in his seventh season. Definitely Stanford, a unique place. And when you're selling Stanford, we asked Shannon this last 
selling your school. What are you selling to these kids? School, team, place, experience, opportunity after college, or all of those things? You know, I, I think for us here, it's uh, you know, you you know, it's I don't really call it selling. I just I call it presenting um, what you have. And um, Stanford has a lot of great things about it. It's um, I'm pretty blessed to be at a place like this in terms of. You know, you have Stanford in your background, and the campus is gorgeous. The school has great education. The edu- uh, athletics is is very good within all the varsity sports here. We have 35 varsity sports. So, you know, you're, you're just kind of presenting the facts to these um, student athletes and their parents and um, giving them a choice. There's so many good places in the country, and you just want to make sure this is the best fit for, for each of them. Focus of the – I mean, when you're talking to them it- – is it more on athletics? Is it more on academics? Is it focused in perhaps some other areas? And how much change have you seen in that in your 24 years? You know, for us, we have to do probably a little bit more on the academic side than most of the schools. I always tell our kids who are recruiting that, you know, I probably ask you more about what your SAT score is and how your grades are in the classroom versus, you know, how you did in the last tournament. Um, admissions pretty much um, controls who we eventually can can um, get into the school. You know, everything has to be approved through them before we even get applications. And I think the hard part being for the kids that you have to recruit now is everything's so early and our process is still late. So we just, we have to make sure we make the right decisions on, you know, whether we think a kid can get admitted and whether the the student athlete's willing to continue the academic side through high school where, you know, there's a lot of high school kids that want to you know, take their senior year of high school and just kind of be a senior in high school, and and you can't do that if if you have dreams to come here. First of all, I want to congratulate you, Denise, on the assistant coach of the year again being recognized in that. That's no short order, especially doing it a couple times. Uh, oh, thank you. Recruiting. Uh, do you tend to look for players to fit specific roles when you go out and recruit players, or do you recruit you know athletes the best? character, whatever whatever those um, sort of needs are? You know, we, we tend to have to recruit kids that can f- just be here. Um, we can't necessarily, we don't recruit kids to fit into a system. You know, there's sometimes there's not kids that say we need a middle. Maybe there's not a middle that can academically get in that can fit our needs. So sometimes we don't get a middle. Um, so we kind of have to go about the system differently in terms of let's get this kid. She wants to come. She's got good grades. Maybe we'll get her now instead of waiting a year and getting a middle blocker next year. So those those are things that are different for us in terms of the recruiting process here. We have to just, again, the last thing we want to do is ask a kid to wait for Stanford and then not get in and lose opportunities at other universities. So that's kind of how we do it. Okay. You guys had what was an incredible recruiting year and brought in, I think some people said it was five of the top eight or at least five of the top ten recruits in the nation. Is that just pure luck or happenstance that they happened to be kids that could do well at Stanford? You know, it was one of those years that, you know, all five um, liked it here, wanted to come here, had a chance to get in here. And, you know, we said, yeah, let's, and we, it, it worked. You know, it's, it doesn't work all the time. Your pieces of the puzzle don't always fit. And this one kind of, you know, we just said, wow, this is a pretty good class, and let's let's try to do what we can to, 
to get them in. And you know, you know, they're they're a good group, and all the kids here, you know, have to do things like I said that other kids might not. Some of them have been asked to change their classes to to senior year um, in order to make sure that that this is that they're admissible as they can. And and if kids don't want to do that, then then maybe this isn't the spot for them. But that class last year was just phenomenal, and like I said, it it was pretty. I, I want to say it was lucky because um, they all it all fit. Have you? A lot of changes in the kids uh, across a lot of sports. I've heard people saying that the youngsters coming up don't expect to come into a program, learn for a while, and then have their chance. They expect to just continue to be the superstars that they were at the previous level. How it, has it seen that change inside of women's collegiate volleyball? Yeah, you know, for the most part, I think kids. It, it, it's that's true. I don't think they they want to. A lot of them want to come in and play right away, and you know I think that's where you see a lot of the transfers within the country that are coming about um, is that you know they didn't get what they they wanted to do, or you know for here, us here you know we we pretty we talk about that a lot that you know you got to come here and be ready to um, maybe play maybe not, and you know you know we had five freshmen and, and four played, and, and you know the one who didn't you know it wasn't as fun for her, but um, you know. The thing for us here is is we try to make sure they come for other reasons besides volleyball, and that what that's what makes our program I think a little bit different in that the academic side and the school side is is a positive thing for for our players. I mean we've only had one player transfer out in the history of the program, and that's pretty unique um, these days. And uh, you know some of the kids that have walked on haven't finished their four years, but they've stayed at Stanford and graduated from Stanford. Well, player transfer that is simply astonishing record yeah. uh, program i mean the one who, the freshman who didn't see a lot of this year actually wants to be an orthopedic surgeon so i think she's got a little ambition at wow. all. Just yeah. Uh, when- yeah i mean the, the funny thing here you know people ask what the the student athlete major is and you know i think some facts that people don't realize is because of the number of varsity sports here you know about one in eight one in ten students on campus is a, is a student athlete of some kind and the per- highest percentage of major that the student athletes take, it's like 15% are human biology majors, which is the pre-med. Oh. And then if you combine all the engineering majors, I think they said student athletes are about 18% of engineering. So, you know, the students here come for, for reasons to get to get a good education and to play a pretty high-level sport, and most of, the, most of the sports here are pretty high-level. Wow, that's fantastic statistic to Denise Corlett in year at Stanford about recruiting here as part of the coaches' corner. And Denise, you mentioned those freshmen: Jordan Burgess, Maddie Bug, Donaku. Uh, some of the names that you guys brought in this year. How do you guys manage the program throughout the season when you have players that obviously have been playing or perhaps expected to be playing? All of a sudden, a freshman is recruited in and they are starting. That has to be a delicate situation for the entire staff. Yeah, you know, the thing is, our team, you know, I have to commend our team this year. Our seniors that didn't play very much did an awesome job, um, you know, not playing as much with the four freshmen that came in and did play. And, you know, the the thing we try to do here is just talk about team and, you know, the big picture of, of life and, you know, the thing we – I'd rather – I'd love to win championships, but I'd rather make sure that every student athlete that got out of here – was going to be a better person coming out of here and was able to 
go on to the real world and take care of themselves and and get a get a good job and be happy and you know the volleyball part is such when you look at the big picture such a small part of most of these kids' lives you know there's how many really go on to the next level and we've had a lot that obviously have but you know majority of them go on and you know have to go out and into the world and take care of themselves and that's what our job is. That's it's doing good work up there and Denise this is Dustin I. Caught on to something earlier, Manhattan Beach, hometown. Did you go to Maricosta High School? You a Mustang? No, I was a, a American Martyrs is where I started, and I went to private school of St. Mary's Academy in Inglewood for two years, in Marlboro in Los Angeles for two years. But my my nieces are Mustangs, so I have a few ties there. You went to L.A. for your collegiate ball, where uh, only were you a national team player on the volleyball side, but. You won a national badminton championship? I did, yep. I, there's a badminton club in Manhattan Beach that I joined and played badminton from age 10 to probably 22. Great sport. I'm seeing kind of Bobby Riggs, uh, Billie Jean King. <laughs> I, I think you and Dunphy need to take each other on. In, uh... <laughs> well, you probably used to in the, back in our day. You know, we, I actually played in – Marv coached one of my club teams one year, so we got to know each other. And when I back and we played the USVA Open Nationals, all that stuff. But I have to say, Manhattan Beach is a great place to grow up. I still call it home. Before we get you out of here, I, I wanted to just get one piece of advice. If you were going to talk to a new coach who's trying to build a program and do it through recruiting, what would you? T- you know, I would I would say the best you can be honest. Um, show them the goods and the bads, and you know, make sure that when they get to the campus, it's not different from the way you recruited them to the way they show up. And that's, I think, what happens a lot of times is these kids get, you know, talked and wine and dine, you call it, but you know, and then they get to the campus and it's just not the same. Um, be yourself, um, show it like it is. Don't be afraid to show the negative things because there's something probably negative in every campus or university, and you know, make sure you're honest about it. And, you know, I always say that I want to do this the right way. I like my job, but I want to recruit so that if I don't get a kid or a kid doesn't come here, I still can smile at the parents and smile at the kid and say hello and know that they we did it the right way. Denise Clyde is associate head coach at Stanford University, where she's been for 24 seasons, had an incredible recruiting class last year, and the future is bright for her program. Coach, thanks so much for spending a little time. We sure appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thanks, Denise. Bye. Check in. Yeah, a good note during my match this past week, although I missed it, there was a poster being held up in the end zone. And it may have been actually... I don't know who was holding it because I don't, didn't even see. I just saw the poster itself, and we didn't know who it was, and it kind of glossed over it. She said, no, that poster is actually James Shaw and his sister when they were like five and seven or something. Yeah. They were super-duper young, uh, or you know, five to seven years old, eight years old, and they were cheering for Stanford, of course, for Father Don Shaw, right. longtime head coach of both programs there. So was she, and, and probably should ask her, but I'll ask you, was she coaching under – Don Shaw for a while and then became, you know, what's it, what do you think it's like? I mean, obviously she must have been if she's been there for 24 years. What do you think it's like to be a new head coach and come in and accept the existing assistant coaching staff as opposed to taking on a new one or bringing in your own or whatever? Okay, I've asked about that. 
to some coaches who've kept assistants. And one of the primary reasons is the recruiting relationships. Hmm. You don't want to get rid of the recruiting relationships. And you also, if you're, I think if you're a coach coming into a team that, that has had some success, you don't want to dump the entire culture. It's a delicate balance between what you want to do and what was done before. I think assistant coaches who have been there can be a, a really nice bridge at times between systems, between uh, regimes inside of a program. Uh, and if you have that, if you find someone to be an asset, it doesn't matter if they were there before you or you brought them in. If they are an asset and someone that you feel can bring value to the program, you got to be open to it. Yeah, You're I really mean, doing your job. Probably a similar conversation we could have had on the other side with, with Dave Niffin about coming in and, you know, having Mark Presha there and coming into that. Oh, I had a fire pressure immediately. <laughs> Come on, everybody. kid. Your hair's too good. You make me look bad. Yeah. All right, so thank you very much to Denise Corley. I tell you what, the problem with this show is that we could have spent 20 more minutes with Denise. Absolutely. We could have spent Easily. 20 more minutes with Brian and Chris. I would love to do a seven-hour podcast, but my voice is just not going to last. Well, we got to hit some – some college volleyball, right? I mean, you were in uh, Stanford recently. We've got to touch on the men's game, what's going on there, where the rankings are, or at least the schedule. Update that, Meow. Yeah, and I, so I thought maybe I'll play this for College Volleyball Weekly this week. Because I'm here, and it's my program. Well, it's your program. Wow. But I have the computer, so. In association with the ABCA, the Net Live is proud each week to present the College Volleyball Weekly. And right now, it's the men. And it is kind of a party because everyone's having a good time. There's no definite leader. No one's no one doesn't feel like they're a part of it. No one doesn't no one feels like they're not gonna win a national championship. Like they couldn't win a national championship. It's all possible in the world of men's collegiate volleyball. I don't know if that's a great song choice, but No, it's terrible. That's but where we're at. Let's let's talk a little bit. I mean we were just on last Monday, so we had a busy busy weekend in the men's game. Friday night, of course, you know, USC beat Stanford in three after beating UCI in three the previous week. So, and then they lost the Pacific on Sunday. Top two teams last week, two last week lost all four matches that they played. Right. So welcome in Mike Sonheimer and Jay Hosick as usual. And I played that because I remember a, uh, an NPR they did about Penn State party culture and they kept rocking that song. That was everywhere at the time. So welcome, Jay. <laughs> Hi. Hi, thanks for having us again, as always. Hey, the sound is cutting in and out in case you guys are... Uh, are yeah, wondering. same with me. Uh, we're going to solve it. DJ Roche is not there, and this is the crap that goes on when we're gone, huh? That's awful, guys. What happened to your voice, Barney? What's going on? It's destroyed. It's destroyed. <laughs> I thought somebody There's only else was four games today. on Tuesday. <laughs> This is his uh, 976 voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Moonlighting, I take it. Here we go. Back on Thursday, I night, Friday, I had a made it through. Sandy, do we just have to take over? Is it, is it I really think we just take over up? because I don't think anybody good plays this week. Nobody bad plays this week. Everybody plays everybody else, and most of the good top teams are off, and so we can wait till next week. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, let's let's talk a little bit about the crazy scheduling that your team UCLA is having. UCLA had a heck of a travel schedule the first few weeks. How'd they uh, how'd they feel going up to Stanford in that whole match? What, what well, you, what, what, what finally hit was the flu finally hit UCLA, and they played the last two sets like they had the flu. But uh, I think that you have to look at is when John Spraw is putting it together – because of a new team, he wanted to see as many different matches, as many different looks as he could to try to get a better feel for what he wants to have for his team as he moves into conference. And he's seen a little bit of everybody, and the Bruins are pretty good, and so is everybody else. I mean, right now, Penn State, I think by beating Lewis and beating Loyola Chicago, is playing as well as anybody in the country. So I think you know there can be a case made for Penn State being the number one team in the country right now. BYU. <laughs> Uh, you know what, I, 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 I don't know if we're number one status yet, but I, I do believe this, that we've seen over the past few weeks, I'm sure it's January volleyball across the country, uh, but there, are, there, are, there is a, a reason why everybody is beating everybody, and, that, and I think that's fun to watch. I think it, it makes teams that, although maybe you're having a little bit of a rough past the beginning part of January, they, they know that if they keep working it uh, and they keep getting better over the course of the season, they, they have a chance just like anybody else, and that makes it great. That, that's fun to be a part of, and so uh, it's exciting to see what's going on across the board. Yeah, I think it's just really nice. I mean, and I hear you perfectly. But basically, I think that there's so many teams out there that have a chance. I mean, the, May, the championships at UCLA May 2nd and 4th are for anybody to really be there. I think when the MPSF gets seated, the number one seed may have an, you know, have an edge on the at-large berth, but I think it's going to be you know, wide open as to who's going to win, and eight can be one. And I think that the Midwest is going to be the same way. As I think there's the signs of both Loyola, Chicago, Lewis, and, and you know, then you look at Ohio State's a little bit down, but they could just be good enough. They almost beat UCLA. You look at Ball State and IPFW show signs. Lines and who knows on a given day, and then we'll see if you know the, your main competitions, the Harvards and Princetons of the Ivies and the St. Francis and George Masons, are good enough to be able to finally win a set from you guys. Well, yeah, I think I think that won't be a problem. I tell you what, though, I think Princeton starts up this weekend out in California. They play Santa Barbara in San Diego. Is that this weekend or next weekend? I think it's I think it's the end of this weekend because I know Santa Barbara plays Stanford on the 25th at, at Stanford, yep. so maybe next week. But I think you know we'll we'll see when Princeton comes out here, and they've got a really good recruiting group. I mentioned earlier of Californians come in for next year, and um, I, li- I like it. I mean, I, I've told everybody out there that whatever happens this year in men's college volleyball, virtually every team top team will be stronger next year because almost every is returning. And I think a team that had maybe the best week this week was Pepperdine. Pepperdine had a really, really nice week, and they're showing they can be very, very tough, too. Yeah, Pepperdine, uh, I kind of like into the same the same boat we're in. It's a young team. Uh, Matt West is in his second year now, and he's doing some really nice things. And they've just got some players that, you know, this year is, is going to be the question mark if they can make that push. But next year and the following year, they're going to be really, really they're gonna good. They're going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, you know, they're going to be the they're going to be the next. I'll just say the next BYU only because BYU came into the season pretty hot and heavy. But Pepperdine's going to be really good, and Marv obviously knows what he's doing. You know, on the bench, so uh, they're. Gonna going to be a fun team to watch for sure. Who do you got coming up this week, uh, Sandy, that you're looking at? Uh, UOP, the team that uh, knocked off the Trojans after the Trojans had beaten Stanford, looking so good on TV. And so that's going to be a toss-up match. UOP is playing really well right now. The Bruins next year, though, they had the best recruiting year. They're going to be really strong. I was really impressed with Stanford. James Shaw gets better and better. I think Kevin got to see him, but I thought for a freshman, he really ran a nice offense. And that Stanford team would basically be intact next year, too. And so they're going to be really, really good. That's why I say there's just so many teams. This is Irvine's year that they better win because they've got some seniors out there. But, you know, other than that, everybody else has really got a younger team and then a year from now they're going to be that much stronger yeah I, I i coached james this last summer in the junior national team and right and uh he was 
one of those kids in the gym that, that we knew we had to find a spot for, whether it was the starting setter or, or a backup opposite or wherever the position was. He even passed really well. He could have played on the left side for us if we really needed it. But he's one of those kids that has such a high volleyball IQ that you have to have him in the gym. You have to make sure that he's a part of it all. So, and I thought... Uh, can, I thought the announcer yeah. on the broadcast, Kevin Barnett, was absolutely brilliant because one of the new trends is teams using multiple liberos, which started with the Italians back at the Olympic Games, which Kevin alertly pointed out. And now Stanford is using two liberos, and I thought that having two liberos really helped them win. And I don't know if it's going back east. Have you seen it yet in any of your matches, Jay? Uh, there's been a couple of teams that have listed two liberos. We haven't really seen much of a team pulling a kid back and forth between serve receive and and, uh, and defense. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where I, I think if there's a distinct uh, difference between the two, then you might see it happen. But from from our standpoint, we don't use it, and I don't know many of the other teams that that maybe have the roster spots where they would use it. Uh, maybe they're using it just because maybe one game to the next a libero might be better. But that's about all we're seeing. Yeah, because I think they really helped Stanford beat UCLA, and I know it just helped Northridge win a couple of matches this year, switching off their liberos. And I'm just—I think it's just a, maybe it's a trend. Started the Olympic Games, and I think it's—it may pick up, and I think we'll probably see it in the women's season too. Yeah, I would agree. Well, let's uh, let's let's let Barney take over here pretty soon. Here's here's the matches uh, that I've got this week that are that I'm looking forward to watching. I want to see what George Mason does against Loyola and Lewis this weekend. That's going to be some matchups that uh, you know Loyola Lewis. Loyola was on a four match win streak till they came into our gym this week, and Lewis uh, was on a I think uh, I don't know about the win loss streak, but they're one of those teams that they went on a long road trip, and they're going to be back home, and they're going to feel pretty good. I want to see what George Mason does against them. I'm really interested to see what Long Beach State and Irvine are going to do this weekend. Yes, That's the, the black and blue uh, series that starts. Um, I want to see UOP as well. UOP beating uh, beating USC is a big deal, and I believe they play them again this weekend with UCLA. So um, that's going to be good to see. And I want to see San Diego against Northridge and Long Beach. Uh, they're going to be uh, – San Diego is no longer – and we've been we've been tidying this, both you and I, for a while now. San Diego is not the doormat of the MPSF. They are a very good team. They're very well coached. Kevin Ring does a great job down there. I want to see if they can continue the streak and beat Northridge and Long Beach State this week. So those those are the matches I'm interested in. Any other ones for you? Yeah, no, I mean, my, I think really Irvine has been playing that well. They, they really need – Long Beach has been playing really well, and I think we'll really find out if Long Beach is for real. I didn't think Long Beach was that strong. I think Irvine's very strong, so I think that's one for me. I'm going to be surprised if Irvine doesn't win that match and it'll make Long Beach stronger than I thought they were, you know, looking at the conference. And I think Stanford and Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara's got some talent, and Stanford may have a letdown after playing so well against UCLA. Hmm, that's an interesting match, Santa Barbara Stanford. I, I like that one. Hey, uh, Barney, you still there? Hey, you know what? This is credit to to the way we've constructed this segment. We don't even need you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what the heck we need you for then. <laughs> Another hour, forty-five minutes. You have this down. <laughs> well, if you want to increase our pay, I mean, we love how much you're paying us now, but if you want to increase that, sure, we'll take over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for my invite from uh, from Reed Pretty to go to Hawaii for DJ Roche's or Vegas for DJ Roche's little uh, weekend jump because I am the fifth man this year. So I am oh, on fantastic. staff, technically. Yes. Gentlemen, <laughs> as usual, thank you for your contributions. We'll talk about that. All right, take guys. Care. Have a good week. See ya. Bye-bye. A couple of things I wanted to add in there to the College Volleyball Weekly, but nobody could hear me. Yeah, Adam big, now. Big USC alumni match coming up this Saturday at the Galen Center. I saw that. I actually detailed that on the broadcast that they had you guys on the schedule. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that, that'll be interesting. Are you playing left back or left out? I will be playing probably, which is scary. Uh, they need me, I think. So, I you're, so the left out position is open? It's already taken by somebody else, <laughs> not by me. The alumni match, always a lot of fun. I always looked forward to uh, playing against They have alumni. one at Pep? Yeah, they used to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I played. When I first got moved back here, I went and played. Pulled my usual because I'm, I'm not really supposed to play. Like, my knees are not good for playing. And yeah. Showed up, said I played libero. Yeah, I played three sets outside hitter. <laughs> That's how it happened. I hadn't played months, like, well, the, ever. The worst thing that they do at SC, too, is they first have an alumni versus alumni match, which basically, I mean, we're all terrible anyway, but then it just t- tires us out, and then we go against the kids that are in the gym every day, and oh, we're just boy. beaten. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Good. All right, we're going to take a short break here on the Net Live. We'll be right back with more, maybe. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. You don't have to find the best college coaches. They find you at Spire Institute. Spire's postgraduate volleyball academy wants athletes. Spire delivers customized volleyball training and competition led by head coach John Hawks, athletic development with Michael Johnson performance, and educational options all in Olympic-grade facilities. There is no better way to impress college coaches and increase scholarship opportunities. Spire Institute postgraduate men's and women's programs in multiple sports. It's not taking a year off. It's adding a year to your future. Sign up today at SpireInstitute.org. Wisconsin. 
Wow. Got the Wisconsin job. So we're going to talk to Kelly. That'll be a good one. He's been on this show before. And also John Kessel. USA Volleyball's John yeah. Kessel, who came up this week, a grassroots guy, a guy who's in touch with so many levels of growing the sport, you know, grow the game, the popular phrase right now. John Kessel, very much a part of that. Internationally with those guys doing it, uh, Brian and Chris on the, the military side of things, that camp was really interesting that they he helped participate in. Yeah. Be interesting to see hear his side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, John, and, and he's a historian for the game. If you've ever been to his office, his office is like a mini volleyball hall of fame. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, the history that's just in his office alone. Yeah, he does have a blog, too, where he talks about that uh, that program that they that they did, and, and I guess there's um, some other parts of it. Maybe somebody will share the link there through the chat board room situation. I love the call here on the chat board. Penn State has not lost an EVA match, a conference match, since Cloverfield was number one in the theaters. Isn't that the one with the Godzilla-type monster? You yeah, yeah the, wasn't it the... Uh... What year is that? That's <laughs> Yeah. I think, what is that? Cloverfield. Got to be 03? Like post-Blair Witch? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I, oh yeah, it's post-Blair Oh, 2008, Vinny Lopes, quick on the, yeah. the, the chat board. Well, they've gone to the Final Four, what? Every every year? Every year since uh, 1972, actually. That's the record. Hired Mark Pavlik in 71, went to the Final Four in 72. Who went in 71? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I, I think Denise Corlett touched on some interesting stuff as well. Uh, I loved her, her answer at the end. About badminton? Yeah, that too. <laughs> I want a badminton match right now. Battle of the Sexes? I want to play. I want to play. Yeah. Springfield went in 71. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. May, I, I think that the advice was great. Be honest. Show, oh, yeah. show the goods and bads. And then she put it perfectly. Make sure the school is the same when the kid arrives. Yeah. If they commit to your school, when the kid arrives, as it was when they came to visit. So important. Don't lie to these kids. Yeah. And she did mention even something else that she wants to present herself in a way that even when she runs into the kid and the parents, if they don't get them, she wants to be able to say hello and and not feel awkward or anything like that. Obviously, it's a you know that whole business conversation about your personal brand, right? Not only is she representing Stanford, but she's representing herself. And for 24 years to be in a position like that, that doesn't happen by accident. No. 32 years, uh, Mark Pavlik's been head coach now at uh, Penn State, according to my math. <laughs> wow. Not true. So he's – well, I mean, there's another one, like I was saying earlier, The uh, and that's got to be one of those positions that's opening soon, and maybe you get the next wave of coaches coming up when the Marvs and the Pavs and the – Pav is not leaving Penn State ever soon. He's actually in his 19th season, so not quite 32. Yeah, 19 close. Is we round it up. Yeah, it's, you may as well call it 32. Why would you leave that job, though? Exactly. Yeah. That's Cause, a problem. Because Jay Hasek had you murdered. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Breaking news. Jay, Jay Hasek with the lead pipe. Yeah. In, in the, the conservatory. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's been a crazy enough week in sports. Who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Mark Pavlik, uh, make sure you have a food taster. Yeah. And uh, bodyguards at all times. Yeah. Out there at Penn State. Yeah. Jay might go uh, Tanya Harding on you. Oh, kneecap him. <laughs> now, if you're looking for a good read, you've got to go to the FIVB site and just look up the uh, the history 
of, uh, of of volleyball. Read a little bit through it. It's it's fun. If you're a volleyball fan, it is it's a fun read. There are, there are some fantastic things there. Put that up on the Facebook page if you would. There, uh, Dusty Gringo. If you yeah, why not? Quality. Put that link up there because that's a it, it's fun. I mean, okay, nineteen fifteen, nineteen seventeen. I mean, you get a real feel for eighteen ninety eight. Volleyball's invented. Yeah, called Mintinet. Internet. Thank goodness they changed that. Oh man, Mintinet. I'm a Mintinet player. It's bad, <laughs> enough I, bad enough I get referred to as a volleyball yeah, player. Yeah, the volleyer. Notoriously girl sport. Now I'm a Mintinet player. Uh, I'm Mintinet. Is that a verb? I'm Mintinet. I think if you if you played Mintinet, you would have to wear a French maid costume. <laughs> that you would definitely have to have the skirt with the little <clears throat> doily thing over it, right? Yeah. Uh, something you know we just touched on earlier. What do you think about Stein becoming the Sand coach, sand volleyball coach at UCLA. I now know why I saw. Oh my God! How's that? Look at that! Everybody get that one. Hang on a second, man. Great radio. (laughs) I I now know why I saw Stein Metzger hanging around with UCLA when I ran him to the airport in Portland during the women's season. And now I noticed that Matt Furbringer is hanging around with a men's program. So I asked Furby first question. At Stanford this past week, I said, "So, how long till I see you hired as assistant coach to Stein for the beach programming at UCLA, mm-hmm. or maybe he'll go to Long Beach or Stanford beach?" Yeah, that's something we should we should ask Denise. Although it seems to me no, that we got to keep Denise in the in the box there. We want to do coaches. coaches well, I, was, I was just going to say, it seems to me that there's not a whole lot of information sharing or collaborating between the uh, indoor coaches. And the, and the sand coaches, if they're already entrenched. I disagree. If they're already entrenched. I disagree because Scott Wong at Hawaii yeah. on the uh, assistant coach roster for uh, the indoor team running the beach program. Mm-hmm. You see the same thing with Marcio Sicoli at Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. You saw a hire at FSU. Um, I have to think of a few others, but there, there's a lot of cooperation, I think, between those two programs. Uh, Brian Gimolero um, oh. running the sand program and the indoor program at the same time. I think there's a lot of cooperation, a lot of enthusiasm for uh, having their players play beach. What do you think about the point that Dave Niffin made about the men's sand game? Although we haven't really heard anything about it becoming a sport anytime Not soon. Not happening. You don't think it'll ever happen? Never. Why? I'm going to go on record as saying never. Title line. No. Never happened. Not ever going to be possible. And it, it's not the... What Nina Matthews would have you believe, there's no interest. Not true. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of interest in the men's game indoors. Witness the club championships. It's just because the, there won't be political support to do it. It just it won't happen. It's, it's not a harbinger. And really, I, I continue to believe that women's volleyball is missing the boat by not supporting men's volleyball because the two of them together, were men's volleyball anywhere near the size of women's volleyball, it would be a juggernaut, and it would be able to push basketball around inside the universities and, and the the system to gain more uh, resources for the women's program. Hmm. And that has not happened. The women's programs continue to fight women's basketball, which, quite frankly, is not as good a sport as women's volleyball, I don't think, to watch. I don't think they play it as well. I think women's volleyball is played on a high level. I think it is a, a fun game to watch most times, more so than women's basketball. 
but they don't have the same political clout or support because they don't have an analogous men's program from which to draw additional support and even, comparisons. Even with the men's basketball support that women's basketball gets, I wonder what the viewership is like like on ESPN, they do the women's final four, both for basketball and for volleyball. I wonder what it's like. Look, I would guess that basketball is better, but this is kind of my argument in the Olympics, too, with NBC. ESPN is the kingmaker. Mm-hmm. NBC is the kingmaker. If, if NBC wanted to make handball a big deal, yeah, they could. they'd get you to buy in. Or netball. I really like netball. Netball. It has changed, okay? Yeah. The, the power dynamic has changed. They're not trying to – NBC is not trying to access an already popular Olympic sport. NBC makes popular whatever they want. ESPN is the same. ESPN is so big, so successful, they could make popular whatever they wish. They glorify basketball for men and for women. If, if ESPN decided tomorrow to make volleyball a part of the national conversation – by doing highlights of collegiate games on SportsCenter, by covering collegiate games on ESPN, by having a talk show, this talk show, on their airwaves <laughs> about volleyball. I can think of one. It would happen within five years. It would be huge if ESPN decided that because ESPN is the leader, worldwide leader in sports. They are. And they, they are the kingmaker. So it's possible. Is it ever going to happen? No. Yeah. Is that okay? Sure. Whatever. Well, a little housekeeping that I'd like to bring up. Uh, without a lot of the crew here, we didn't have too many people following up on the drinking game. But with all the pre-1995 references, the audio issues during College Volleyball Weekly, the the uh, Lakers talk, I mean... No one's, no one's even looking at the screen anymore if they were participating. Nobody's, nobody's sober right now if they're, still, <laughs> if they're still listening. So I'm glad we could be a part of that. Just uh, I, I don't feel compelled to throw stuff out there for uh, Matt Gardhoff, but uh, earlier I almost said it when uh, David Niffen put it out there that you know it's like a, a nomad, a nomadic life, or yeah, a transient, right, just transient yeah. position. You know what immediately jumped into my head? Speaking of nerdgasms earlier, was uh, the sand people. Oh, gosh! <laughs> it's like yeah. a bunch of assistant coaches driving around. Yeah, the Java. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sorry about that. Or you're welcome, Gardhoff, I guess. It's better than apologizing. Um, interesting, though, that even with that comment made earlier by Dave, then we have on one of the longest tenured assistant coaches or associate head coaches in, in the women's game. There are a couple. More popular on the women's side, I suppose? Don't know the answer to that. I mean, there's more opportunity, that's for sure. The only one I think of on the men's side is uh, Brian Rofer, yeah. who now is where? Ugh. I don't know. I don't know if he was planning to take over for skates or what he was planning to do. Um, but Brian Rofer was there for 18? Hmm. I don't know. A lot. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only guy I can think of. Well, and Costi, like you like you mentioned, Costi and Campbell were Costi. both. Jeff Campbell, too, at yeah. Northridge, was an assistant for a while. Another good example. Yeah. And I, guy in the women's game, I'd have to think Denise is one of the few. Uh, Leslie, Tuyasa Sopo, now... Uh, is in her 12th season. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Good question. Well, there you go. What else we got? Wrap it up. Here on a Thursday edition of the Net Live. I was happy to be here again. I might be here back Monday. The crowds are clamoring. The 500,000 fans are asking me. 
There you go. Exactly. Did you hear, by the way, I guess it was this week's episode of The Bachelor yep. that they played volleyball and Smack Sportswear was prominent. Yeah, it was promoted and, and Siggy was the ref. And uh, I didn't see it, but I heard that Jenny Crop and Tyra Turner were on as well. They were there. So. It was, I mean, it, <laughs> volleyball is a tough game. Let me tell you this. Okay? Obviously, everybody knows this. You can be a good athlete. You can play basketball. You can run fast. You can jump. And you can still be a terrible volleyball player. I think we all know this. The level of volley that I saw on The Bachelor the other night was just pitiful. It was so embarrassing. I can't believe that it was actually highlighted as a as an episode. It was it was amazing. It was I was dumbfounded at how bad it was. You'd think that one of those girls would be like five foot ten, played Division two, like came up, knew what she was doing, and would just crush the other team for the rose. And and it was just not happening. I'm dismayed to hear that the volleyball was still awful. Terrible. Every time I see volleyball on TV, it's Terrible. not Terrible. Including in volleyball films, witness side out. Yeah. Monroe Clark. I don't know. I don't know. Spiker. The yeah. volleyball and Spiker, anytime they had the actors was, oh. But it, this is the problem for volleyball. It is a technical game. It is hard to do well. It is hard to play well. It is hard to play in a pickup fashion. You can't put up courts outside of Southern California and have pickup games. Yeah. Right? Because everyone is of such different levels. Yeah, it's difficult. You have to have four people on the beach of similar level. You have to have 12 people or at least eight people of similar level to play any kind of indoor game. It's just it's a little crazy, and that's, that's kind of a, a problem with volleyball. You can't teach kids when they're super-duper young to play because it's so bloody technical and frustrating. So it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, maybe if the uh, the court size were bigger and we played 12 against 12. I don't know. Chinese, like the Chinese? Chinese style. You'll see on that side, yeah. Back, well, in, uh, back in 1920. Yeah, busy weekend indoor. You working a match this weekend? Not this weekend. I will be working in Oakland on Supercross on Saturday. We'll be mm-hmm. back for UCLA taking on the traveling anteaters of UC Irvine on Tuesday. All right. Slow weekend, it seems like, in indoors for the men. So we'll be back on Monday, I think, talking to, you said, Spira and Kelly and hopefully Kessel. Kessel yeah. should be here in studio. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support of this program. We appreciate you being here. Remember to support Spire Institute Volleyball Magazine and all those that support this show, USA Volleyball and the like. We hope you have had a good time. We hope you had a good week. And we will see you Monday. Have a good weekend. <laughs>